spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Jesus 911, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Ruben Ava along with Jesse Romero, two man car, 10 8 for Jesus. And uh, good to be with you guys. Good morning, Jesse. Yes, where Jesus Christ is Lord and the Blessed Virgin Mary is Queen Mother. Hey, Ruben. Uh, yes. I, I just want to just say that thanks be to God, obviously, for the Road versus Wade decision. But I think also Donald Trump should be taking a victory lap because if it wasn't for the former president, Donald Trump, uh, we wouldn't be celebrating the biggest win in our generation in the last 40, 50 years. And when Trump was asked, here's something interesting. Trump was asked about uh, the victory of Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe versus Wade. Instead of, you know, saying, yeah, yeah, look at me. I, I appointed those guys. You know what he said? He said, yeah, thank God. Thanks be to God. That, that, was, that was his response to people telling him, you did it, you did it. He says, nope. Thanks be to God. Also, something else I want to mention is uh, it goes to show you that when the left loses a Supreme Court decision, they have contempt because you have Joe Biden, unelected Joe Biden. Uh, on Friday, he reacted to the Supreme Court decision and he's vowed to defy the Supreme Court. It's interesting, Ruben, when we lose a Supreme Court decision, we're still we're told to, you know, shut up. That's the way it is. And yeah, move on. Up. Yeah. Yeah, but when the left loses a Supreme Court decision, uh, they send out their... Uh, uh, Goon you know, squad. Yeah, Ruth sent us, uh, Jane's Revenge, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, Occupy Wall Street. Uh, also, another thing I want to mention before we actually get into the show is that the Catholic left, and yes, we have leftists in the Catholic Church embedded, for example, those from the Catholic National Reporter, America Magazine... They're slamming the repeal of Roe versus Wade. Unbelievable. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't surprise me. Uh, and uh, and here's just a kind of an action item. Uh, it'd be a good idea for all of us as pro-lifers. Find out the find out the pregnancy uh, counseling center near you, uh, the the woman's support center. Mm-hmm. Find out which one is out there near you, and you know what? Make a donation, Wh- whatever you can, whatever you have the capacity to do this year. Mm-hmm. These are heroes. The these people get paid peanuts, and what they do is heroic work. They deserve our support. Ruben? Yep, 100%. And uh, they played a, a clip from um, when uh, that uh, reporter Wallace was interviewing or doing the, running the debate with uh, Trump and Hillary back in 2016. And, yeah, the and, two-on-one debate. <laughs> yeah, two-on-one, exactly. And, and they, they asked, uh, Wallace asked Trump it, what, what he would do and he, he basically said, yeah, if I get two or even three uh, Supreme Court justices, we're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. He just said it, as a matter of fact, you know. Um, yeah, it's going to happen. And and uh, there was nothing Hillary could say, you know. It's just amazing. And like you said, the left goes about it. Uh, it's like they, they cry over spilled milk and they, they just throw their tantrums. And it's all violent, you know. Um and Nancy Pelosi said today that, oh, that it was an extremist view, you know, and extreme. Who's the extremist in here? They, they went from, you know, rare and, you know. Legal and safe. Rare, legal, rare, and safe. Rare, legal and safe. Rare, legal and safe, right? 
And now uh, what? To killing a baby uh, one second before they they leave their mother's womb. Yeah, and here in California, they're moving to to do a, do it after a month. You know, after the baby's been born, to be able to still kill it after a month. And it's 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 demonic, and just and uh, yeah, Ruben, this is their sacrament. Yeah, this is it. Ba- killing babies is their sacrament. Their sacramental, their sacrifice to Satan. That's their black mass, and this is why they're fighting like we've never seen them fight before. Yeah. Hey, let's jump on to your favorite topic, Ruben. Yeah, this is something that you know a lot about. There's an article called A First-Timer's Guide to the Traditional Latin Mass. And uh, I'm sure you'll have a lot to say about this. The guy that wrote is called Autumn Jones. He's from Denver, Colorado. He says, last week I wanted to check out the tradition, traditional Latin Mass for the first time. I've always attended the Novus Ordo and knew little, uh, and knew little about what to expect. With the Pope's recent motu proprio, which regulates the celebration of the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite, I had a lot of questions. Thankfully, my colleague and CNA managing editor Carl Bunderson was willing to help. Carl has been attending the traditional Latin Mass for about 12 years. I rolled my office chair over to his desk and asked him everything I could think of. Let me just make a comment here, Ruben. Mm. What Pope Francis has done with this document, a lot of people that were not curious about the Latin Mass. In fact, a lot of people didn't even know about it. A lot of people, it was irrelevant to them or they could care less. Now he's pricked their interest. <laughs> and, 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 he, and there's an avalanche of people that I know, mm-hmm. in fact, good Nova Sordo Catholics, Ruben, mm-hmm. that I know now that are going to Latin Mass parishes or Latin Masses that are offered in a diocesan parish as a result of this document. In other words, he pricked their interest it backfired against him, and, and, and if he wanted to try to empty the Latin Mass, what he did, Ruben, is he stacked the deck. Yeah, yeah. yeah last Friday uh, at, at Mass, we had a for the the, the solemnity of the Sacred Heart. Um, I was looking around the parish, and there is there's a ton of young guys, and gals in there, high school, college levels. <laughs> And where did these people come from? There's so many new people attending, and, and it's like it's great to see because you you need the the young people. You right. just don't need a bunch of old guys like me to to keep keep it going. But uh, right. you need the young blood to come in and, and and pass this on to their families and the one yeah. and you know they're going to have kids and and keep it going. So uh, the first question that Adam, uh, Adam Jones says is is it illegal to go to the the tra- traditional Latin mass? Of course it's not. You know. The, I, this is something our, our Lord promised us, so we, we you know, to, to give us the, the, the mass. And we, um, I, I don't believe that anybody, not even a pope, could suppress Correct. could suppress it. You know, no. Um, so, well, any, how does what is Carl Bunderson? What is he? How does he respond? He says, by no means. In Traditionis Custodis, Pope Francis states that diocesan bishops are to provide priests entrusted with celebrating traditional Latin masses and providing pastoral care for groups who use the 1962 Roman Missal. The Pope can hardly legislate to provide for something illegal. And, uh, you know, a lot of bishops uh, are uh, are going along with uh, leaving things as is, but there are some places, uh, you know, in, in I know in Europe, a lot of the masses have been suppressed. And uh, so they're making, I think, the, S, the FSSP, to uh, do a concelebration with the local bishop because you know the FSSP doesn't have their own bishop, so it, it's they don't really have. They're this. under the diocesan bishop, correct? Yeah, so they that's it. So 
and, and these guys. Or the SSPX, they do. They well, the SSPX, they have their own bishop, so yeah. Rome's not telling them anything because they're not going to listen to. It. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so uh, but I mean, a lot of people are going to the SSPX now. A, a lot of them. I just ran into a guy re- retired from the department, and he was at at mass um, Friday, as I mentioned, oh, on Sunday, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And he, he's he's living in uh, in Phoenix in. Um, oh, yeah, they have a big one out here. It's called Our Lady of Sorrow. Yeah, and, huge. And so he, he actually he lives about a, an hour and a half from Phoenix, uh, but he he goes there's an I guess, yeah he can go to that one or an FSSP, but he does go to the Latin Mass now, and and he he too he just he's a newcomer to tradition. So yeah, there's two, there's two FSSP parishes in downtown Phoenix too. Mm. And then you got the one SSPX parish. Then you have about six diocesan parishes that do the Latin Mass uh, during the regular schedule. So it's it's uh, out here. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty widespread. You can find it in a lot of places on Sunday. Yeah. So the next question is uh, that they ask. Um, but what about now? You have, does the TLM fulfill the Sunday obligation? Okay. Carl Bunderson says the managing editor for CNA Catholic News Agency. He says. Unquestionably, it is a mass celebrated in a Catholic rite. In fact, I would just say it's the mass that's been around for about 1,600 years. So AJ asked the next question, what makes a TLM different from my normal Sunday parish mass? The managing editor, Carl Bunderson, says, the things that will, that will likely strike you the most are that the liturgy is entirely in Latin. Mm-hmm. And that perhaps... Uh, the priest celebrates facing the same direction as the people. Granted, both of the both of those things can and perhaps should be done in the Novus Ordo, but in practice they're about as rare as a hen's teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but there are more substantial differences that might not be as immediately striking. Go ahead, Ruin. Yeah, Justin. When that when the recovation occurred, you know, after uh, Pope Paul the Sixth uh, instituted this mass. The Nova Sordo Mass. Um, mm-hmm. They started mo- removing the high altars and uh, putting a, a table in, or putting a second a second altar in front of the high altar. If they didn't just die outright move it, destroy it. And uh, some people who I've talked to in the past, older people that that were around, remember that they were um, they were they were just remember being in tears to see the uh, construction people coming in, destroying the the very marble that you know that uh was was used as the altar for many 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 years and it was just you know they they said man to see them just throwing out the uh the altar Ruben, rails it was like ripping their ripping the heart out of somebody just oh, ripping the heart God. right out of their chest i can't even imagine that type of pain yeah yeah and then a lot of you know from there they that's you know they decide well we're going to move the tabernacle as well and or put the priest right up and you know they put a chair right there i i think when i uh, remember my first the the Novus Ordo that uh, we we used to go to at uh, Saint Felicitas in San Marino, yeah, the the priest was sitting right in the middle, right behind the altar, you know, the the the, the new altar, and uh, but then eventually, and at most Novus Ordo parishes, they moved the priest off to the side. But anyway, we'll get back into this. Yeah, and I want to talk about why why it's wrong for the priest to sit in the vendor, very center of the altar. I want to mm-hmm. just mention on the next uh, segment. It, yeah, this is important. Jesus, nine one one, two man card, Jess and Ruben. Talking about the uh, the Latin Mass, things that people should know. We'll be right back. Stick around.
Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we're back. Jesse, you wanted to mention something about uh, the priest sitting in the middle of the uh, of the sanctuary. Yeah, well, it's, it's pretty simple. Is that when you look at the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, you'll find that Jesus Christ, he's the very center of heaven. He's mm-hmm. the very center of the universe. In other words, he's the focal point of everything. He's the apex. And so, although the priest is in persona Christi during Mass, yeah. the... The, the the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist is Jesus himself. And so it's 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 only fitting and proper since the Eucharist is God. And since God is the center of heaven, as we see in the book of Revelation, it's uh it, it's not fitting that any person, even even a even a, a, a an extraordinary uh, I mean a, a, an ordinary minister of uh, of the sacraments or of the liturgy, a priest, a bishop, it's not fitting for anybody to take the place of Christ. Christ is literally installed in every Catholic church as the very apex and the focal point as he is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's fitting. That's why it's, you, know, you, you saw for centuries and centuries the priest was sitting on the side because the priest only fulfills the role of, of in persona Christi well, as he says, the liturgy, but nonetheless, he's not the focal point himself. I mean, when we are receiving the Holy Eucharist, which is the high point of the Mass, we're not receiving the body and blood of Father George Miller or, you know, yeah. Father Tom Rush. We're receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Blessed uh, of the Blessed Trinity. Yep, well said, yeah. So the next question was, like, oh, she's asking, what, or he's asking, what is the, the calendar? What, what's it like? And so the answer would be the calendar is different. In addition to Lent, there's a pre-Lenten season called Septuagesima, and the Sundays of what is ordinary time in the Novus Ordo are Sundays after Epiphany or Pentecost. Um, the text of the proper prayers will be different, uh, i.e. The, the colic at the, the beginning, the secret, and the post-communion. The offertory prayers are different, and there are additional prayers at Holy Communion and after the priest's reception Lord, I am not uh, worthy. Domine no sum dugnus. It's it's said three times, and uh, and and the priest says Amen as part of the prayer when distributing Holy Communion. So, yeah, that, that's that's something that uh, you you know when somebody's new to the to to the TLM because uh, they haven't been told, hey, you don't need to say Amen when he distributes communion to you. Right. You know. Yeah. You got to you got to yeah. tell people they they don't know. I just, no, no, they don't. Yeah, I mean, in they fact, that the know. priest says Corpus Domine nostri. Jesu Christi custodiat animam tuum in unitam eternum, which means may the body of our Lord Jesus Christ preserve your soul into life everlasting, unto everlasting life. So he says that you know real quick, and he and you know he makes the sign of the cross with the with the host, and he puts it in your mouth. Uh, but uh, you should have your you should be having your head back and tongue out and your your eyes, eyes closed. closed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know what uh, one good priest, Father Burford, had once said. He said your hands should be un- actually. You should put your hands underneath the altar rail because a lot of times when they're um, he's seen where, uh, you know, the host has has fallen off the tongue and your natural reaction was to try to catch it. And you come up and then you hit the patent Mm. and he's seen the patent with all the particles 
go everywhere. So he says, better just to put them underneath the altar rail. That makes Make, sense, Ruben. Yeah. Wow. So, I just learned something. That's good. That's mm-hmm. good. So here's another question. AJ, uh, he's new to the Latin Mass, and he's asking uh, his friend uh, CB, who's been going to Latin Mass for 12 years, he says, holy smokes, that's a lot of differences. Then CB says, but wait, there's more. The priest says the Our Father alone, except for the last line, which is said by the congregation. The readings will be different, and there are generally two rather than three, a gospel preceded by an epistle from St. Paul. The sacrifice is always offered using the Roman canon, that's Roman canon one, uh, in the in the Novus Ordos canon one. The which canon no, is which said, nobody says anymore, by the way. Right, yeah, they, they, that's the one that they omit. Mm-hmm. The canon is said silently, and there's more silence in general. The proper chants, introit, offertory, communion, are always sung or recited. There's no responsorial psalm in its place. is usually a gradual. After the confidior and saying, May Almighty God be merciful to you, the priest says an additional prayer, May the Almighty and merciful Lord grant us pardon, and he gives us a blessing. During the creed, one always kneels at the, quote, and became incarnate, close quote. There are certainly more differences, but I'm afraid I'm not allowed to bore you. I'm not, I'm not bored. It, it, it'll take a while. I, I'd, I'd say it took me about, uh, I started going the last, I, I moved here to Phoenix about seven years ago, and, and we started going pretty, you know, we discovered that there was a the Latin Mass out here, so we started, you know, going sp- sporadically once a month, twice a month, and we just started going every week. Uh, so it took about three months for me to get completely comfortable with it. And there, there's two things that you can do when you go to the Latin Mass as a beginner. Okay, because I, I, you know, I'm pretty new to it. I've only been going to about, about seven years. Ruben, Ruben's a journeyman. But here's one, one thing that you can do is, number one, is just be completely silent. Just let, and here's what I tell people, let the prayers of the Mass... And let the silence of the Mass and the prayers wash over you. I mean, literally, just see yourself like under Niagara Falls. Paint this image in your mind. See yourselves under Niagara Falls because that's literally what's happening to you. The grace from heaven is being opened up like Niagara Falls. And it's washing over you through the priest, the prayers, and, and, uh, and the altar. It's just, just let it wash through you. Right. Now, another way we call this praying the mass. I know, I know in, in, uh, in the Novus Ordo, you'll hear people saying, celebrate the mass. And, and actually, there's nothing wrong with that because you, also, you actually find that in the Latin, uh, celebrando mitse. It's, it's, so it's, it's in the Latin. So it's not, when people say celebrating mass, that's modernism. No, it's not. It's, it's, in, the, it's in the pre-Vatican II documents of the mass. But, it's it's one of the things that we have kind of forgot is is something that's called praying the mass. Yeah. So what you can do is you can you know Reuben gave me my first Roman missile. Okay. So I, me and my wife have it. Compliments of the Nava family. But uh, you know most of the parishes they have those little red missilets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you can even have the, the missilets even on your phone, your iPhone. The uh, it'll have you the, it'll have the Latin on one side and the English on the other. And so what you can do is follow along and you'll find, I find people, people that do this, they go, Jess, and they walk out, they go, 
the prayers are so rich. Right. The prayers are so deep. I was just following along with the priest is saying, reading the English and the Latin. Wow, those prayers really touch my soul. So that's another way to attend the Latin Mass. It's called praying the Mass. Right. Reuben? Yeah, that's uh, Pope Pius X said that don't pray at Mass, pray the Mass. And uh, I was, uh, my older sister has come back to the Latin Mass, and, she, and so I was helping her along. And uh, well, she kept getting losses because when the priest was silent, she would stop reading. I said, "No, oh, you got to keep going. He's still going on. He's still reading. He's just you can't hear him because he's he's not. The prayers aren't meant for you. They're praying. To, he's praying, praying to, God. to God, right? So, yeah. So yeah. the question was, uh, how do I respond to any of the things the priest says, and and um, how will I know what to say or what to do and what and when to do it? Well, in the Latin Mass, the the altar servers are the ones who make the responses. Uh, you know, and um, in the sung masses, you know, then the choir also uh, chants, you know, the the uh, propers. And so anyway, um, there's nothing for you to say. In fact, uh, one priest, uh, the, one lady was new to it and she was sitting up near the front. And, and during the prayers at the foot of the altar, she was making the responses with the altar service. So at his homily, he said, he says, no, you're you're not supposed to be you're not supposed to be speaking. You know, let the altar servers are speaking for you. So. Um, that's something that you uh, you want to check. In in uh, Venerable Pius the Twelfth wrote in Mediator Day, the chief element of divine worship must be interior. So just try mm. to follow the gestures of those around you. Many churches offer the traditional mass. Well, as you said, they'll have a you know the the red missalette or, or, but uh, unless they have the propers set in there, you know, week after week, you're you're not going to get the readings in there. Which they don't. Yeah. Right. Uh, I know at at uh, at Guasti, someone comes in and puts the new propers in each week, so that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, you know, sung masses again, the the responses to the priest prayers in some places, the congregation makes the responses as well. So, you know, I. I some as you know sometimes i'll 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 sing along but uh you know like the you know the the gloria and the credo but i'm not singing loud you know right under your breath yeah because the the last thing you want to do is uh is to uh, bring attention to yourself right Uh, that's that's exactly um one time that i found myself doing that and i sang in a choir before so i the one man goes, Hey, you sing pretty good. You should be up in the choir. So I don't know if he was telling me, Hey, just be quiet <laughs> or he was going to really get up in the choir. Go ahead, yeah. Jess. Yeah. Like you said, right, Ruben, right there at low masses, only the servers respond to the priest. Yeah. So AJ asked CB says, so what's a low mass? Is there a high mass? And uh, CB breaks it down like Ruben did. He said, well, the fullest form of the mass, accepting those said by the Bishop is a solemn mass. In this form, the priest is assisted by a deacon and subdeacon, and, and both the ordinary and propers are chanted. Incense is used, and there are typically a number of servers. The ministers exchange the kiss of peace, and the asperges, a sprinkling rite, are sung on, uh, and on Sundays. Next, in the solemnity to the solemn mass, is the Misa Cantata, or sung mass. There is neither deacon nor subdeacon, but both the ordinary and propers are chanted. Incense is typically used. And there are still a decent number of servers. The asperges are sung on Sundays. The experience is much like being at a solemn mass. Both are sometimes referred to as a high mass. A low mass is much quieter than solemn or sung masses. The ordinary and propers are not chanted, but only recited. There is neither deacon or subdeacon. Incense is not typically used. And there are fewer servers. There are no asperges. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, a couple of times off, some friends of mine have said, hey, you should be a deacon. You should be, well, I said, I go to the Latin Mass. We don't, there's no use for the deacon there, you know. Uh, That's right. So, um, which those Mass? Deacons, those deacons become priests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too late for us. Yeah. Which Mass, low or high, should I try uh, to attend? Should I tr- attend first? And uh, and his answer was, you should go to a sung Mass. Just immerse yourself in the music. Follow along as best you can. Focus more on the choir, what the choir's doing than what uh, the priest is doing. If the choir is singing Gregorian chant, you can sit and meditate on the words of the psalm and really pray the Mass. It takes work to, pra- to participate actively in the Trinity Mass. But if you put the time in and effort in, it will be worth it. And that is really the, the heart of active participation. Yeah. You know, yeah. It doesn't mean you have, to be, you have to be responding like in the Novus Ordo. Active participation is getting your heart, your mind, your soul, everything uh, in tune with what's going on. What's what Jesus was doing at his first mass, you know, at the Last Supper at Calvary, and it's a, it's a continue. he was actively participating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Jack. So, AJ says, "Will I stick out like a sore thumb if I've never been there before?" CB says, "I would expect that people will pay more attention to the mass than to you, but if you don't want to stick out, dress nicely and do your best to follow those around you." We'll finish this up on the next segment. There's only uh, three more questions, and it's worth going through this. You're listening to Jesus 911, two-man car, Jess Romero, Ruben Nava, talking about the the traditional Latin Mass and how to attend it. Stick around. You don't want to miss up what's next. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we are back to my car. We're talking about the TLM, the traditional Latin Mass. Uh, Jesse, the, what, the, the, what's the question you just asked, would I stick out? And he, ha- he answered that you dress nicely. And that's one thing you, you one of the biggest differences that you see oh, yeah. in the people attending. It's as, as if the people that are going to the Latin Mass, they know uh, where they're going. And, and the Nova Soto has gotten too casual, too. Uh, and, and I know I have friends that go there and, and they are casual, and 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 I've heard them say, "Well, God doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He doesn't care what you're wearing." I I, I disagree. I mean, you know, in the in that uh, in Scripture, where that one verse where at the wedding feast, that uh, one person was thrown out because he wouldn't have a wedding garment on. You know, had rags on or something like that. <laughs> so, I I think if you if you dress nicer to go to someone's wedding than you do to go to mass to honor God, then you might want to you, reconsider that. You got a problem. Yeah. You, you got a problem. Ruben, I'll tell you what happened here. As, uh, uh, I live five minutes away. The close, uh, the Nova Sordo Parish is about five minutes away, Our Lady Guadalupe. Five minutes away, literally. And it's a, it's a good or, uh, Orthodox Nova Sordo Parish because it, the pastor's a good pastor. He's retired mm-hmm. military. He's very disciplined, and he's just got that military mindset. But he started noticing that I wasn't going to Mass there every Sunday. And so he, he asked me, hey, Jess, where you been? I said, oh, hey, Father, every now and then I go downtown, you know, once, twice a month I go downtown to the Latin Mass, downtown Phoenix. It's a 40-minute drive. But I don't mind taking it. I just I just feel kind of drawn to it. You know what he did? Because there were several, several parishioners that were doing that, making the trip over there 40 minutes. Uh-huh. He went out over to Omaha, Nebraska, to the FSSP Seminary. Uh-huh. I guess they have the seminary out there in what's called Guadalupe Seminary. And he went and took instruction 
on uh, on how to do the the traditional Latin mass. Brought it to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Guess what? Now, Ruben. No. Wait. Every Sunday at four p.m. we have the Latin mass five minutes from my house. Oh my goodness. I mean, am I spoiled or what? No, no excuses, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, yeah. So I don't have to take the forty-minute drive. I take a five-minute drive once again. Nice. And it's just, it's just beautiful. I just said, and he's even said, he said that it's, it's renewed, it's rekindled his priesthood. Mm. He's admitted it. He said this has done something to my priesthood. I really. He goes, it's rekindled it. It's, yeah, that, that's know, the same thing Bishop Strickland said, you know, when he started saying the Mass again, the Latin Mass, when he learned it, you know. Uh, so the other question is, do I have to wear a veil for women? Where can I find one? Um, it's not required by class, ecclesiastical law, um, but many women choose to cover their heads. Some do not. Uh, if you wish to go get a veil, there's, there's other places, veils for Lily. There's places you can shop online. You can go go find one. Um, and there's nothing stopping you from doing it at the Novus Ordo. In 1 Corinthians 11, uh, mm-hmm. 2 through 16, uh, well, I'll just read a little portion of it. Every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head. So we see guys in church with a hat on. I mean, I've asked people, hey, could you take your hat off, you know? But every wife who prays or prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if, if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. It's just, you know, it's showing humility. And uh, I think it's beautiful to see women wearing, uh, you know, a veil. Here's, the, here's another point I'll make is think about some of the women that you have in politics and on The View that have their heads shaven. See how, how disgusting and <laughs> they do look disgraceful, Ruben. Yeah. A woman that's bald. There's just you look at me saying, "What is that?" It just the, there's an aversion because the hair is the glory of women, right? And 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 the glory means this is this is what is part of the beauty of a woman is long hair, and this is why this is why it should be covered at mass. I'll tell you why, because you become a distraction to men. If you have that long, that long, shiny, frolicking hair, guess what guys are going to be doing? They're not going to be looking at the tabernacle or at the priest actions. They're going to be looking at your hair. Okay? It's a distraction. So on a very practical level, Ruben, what a woman does by covering her hair is they're taking the focus away from them themselves and they're placing it back onto God. Number one. Number two. In the Bible, in the Old and New Testament, you'll find that everything that is holy is veiled, without exception. Everything that is holy is veiled. Now remember, women are literally, at least the way, even if you're older and post-menopause, just the way a woman was created by God, she was created to potentially give life. And therefore, because she's a potential life giver, she's holy and set apart. Yeah. And by, and by the same token, that's why she, she needs to also dress modestly, you know, shoulders covered, you know, let dress down below her, her knees, uh, you know, and, and not the tight yoga pants that you, you see at some, some parishes. And that's, that's mass, also, at mass, yeah. yeah. This is not appropriate. So, yeah. for the gym, that's different, but not at mass. 
Yeah. Yeah. Father Nix would even say, even at Yeah, you're right. right. Father Nix has <laughs> called me on that, too. You're right. Yeah. He said, not, not even in the gym, Jess. Yeah. So, AJ asks, what should I bring with me to Mass? CB, the, the more veteran Catholic at the Latin Mass, says, a contrite and humbled heart and an open mind. If you have a 1962 hand missile like the one Ruben gave me, bring it, but don't feel you need, you need to at first. In other words, you're not wedded to the missile. You're wedded to Christ. And uh, sometimes you just want to just close your eyes and just just let the prayers wash over you. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, here's something cute. Our uh, engineer, Richard, just sent this to me. Kind of a cute joke. It says, Latin, I don't understand it. Uh, but, but Father, I don't understand Latin, one of the parishioners says. And Father says, that's okay. I wasn't speaking to you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly what Ruben said a while ago. Yeah, and the last question is, uh, what do, I've never received the Eucharist on the tongue. Is that the only way the priest distributes it during the TLM? Any any tips? Yes, I, absolutely. He's not gonna. You're not gonna put your hands out. I remember, uh, you know, a guy coming up to Father Melito and he put his hands out to receive, and he said, "No, I'm not." He, he wouldn't give it to him. You know, he put his paws out. Yeah. <laughs> And so, um, and I think I already addressed the fact that you don't need to say amen. Uh, just stick out your tongue, tilt your head back, close your eyes, and um, the priest will, will uh, give you communion. But um, the other thing is that when I'm walking up to communion, Jess, I, I, um, I asked the Blessed Mother to accompany me. And I said, you know, when the Lord, Lord, when uh, I asked, I tell her, you know, uh, when our Lord sees me with you, he's going to have mercy on me, you know, and. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, a, a something I learned from, uh, from a, a priest and it, and it just, um, it, re, it makes that whole experience going up there, walking up there, um, to, to the, uh, the wedding feast, basically, you know, and mm-hmm. going up there with the blessed mother and she's with me. And, uh, and so he's, he, he sees that, um, I'm her child and, and, you know, of course, can you imagine if somebody walked up with your mother, brought you to the mass and you, and she, she Escort your mother to the front. Ah, just, just think what would be going on in your head at that. You see your mom mm. coming up, and just it's something I I try to do every Sunday. Now, that's a good meditation. Those are called meditations, and meditations when you use your mind and your imagination to help you in your interior life. That helps you even when you go to mass and you're praying. These meditations, just like I told you, mm-hmm. uh, going to the Latin mass, I see myself under Niagara Falls. And the water that's coming is God's grace from heaven through the hands of the priest, through the altar, through the prayers. And I just see myself just receiving the infinite graces from Calvary. These are meditations that you can use in your mind to help you in your interior life and to, and to help you, uh, you know, receive, receive the, the, the best, the most graces possible. Here's something else that's also very important um, that we forgot to mention that we were receiving Holy Communion. I, I like what Reuben said. He said... Uh, uh, good, not a bad idea to hold on to the altar rail underneath. I never heard that, but that makes sense to me. But another thing that's important, the article says, is don't look at the priest. Because what ends up happening, if you make eye contact with the priest, you start following him around. like a, You yeah. start following his hand yeah. like an airplane, <laughs> and, and you're, see, you know, you're moving your head around, seeing where he's going to place the sacred host. Close your eyes. This way, you're not following him around and twirling your head around doing a 360 with your head if you close your eyes the priest knows exactly where to place place our lord he's been doing this for you know years and years he does it every day he doesn't need your help mm-hmm. yeah yeah so uh 
Go ahead, just the last question. Yeah, the last question is, AJ asks, is there anything else I should know before I go for the first time? CB, the veteran, says, I think it's important to accept that you'll be the... You'll be the loss for the first several times. You'll be the lost. You'll be lost the first several times. Most parishes will have one Misa Cantata on a Sunday, and then any other masses will be low. Daily masses are going to be low. It's it's it would it's good. It it could be good to prepare ahead of time, reading through the mass, and especially the proper readings and the prayers for the day you'll be attending. You can do this either with a hard copy of a missal or a site such as Divinum Officium. Just plug in the date, and you'll be attending. Click Santa Misi, and the entire text of the day's Mass will show up in parallel English and Latin columns. And uh, if you're not interested and want more than can be offered in the Q&A session, I would suggest you pick up a copy of a, vo- of a book called Nothing Superfluous, an Examination of the TLM by uh, Father James Jackson. Yeah. And I looked that book up, and it, it he's got a lot of great reviews, and and uh, it's a little uh, part points of it are laid out in the in the uh, where I looked it up. And anyway, it, it's, it's just the way he words things, and I just I'll just give you a little snippet of it. He's, the silence of the canon also harmonizes with with the mystery of the transubstantiation, in which mm. the material elements of the bread and wine are changed into the body and blood of Christ without senses, perceiving it in the created mind, able to comprehend it. The real presence and sacrificial life of the Savior under sacramental species are concealed behind all discernment, so the holy silence is quite suited to indicate and to recall the concealment and depth, the incomprehensibility and ineffableness of the wonderful mysteries enacted on the altar. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Habakkuk 2.20. Hmm. Jesus 911, two-man car, Jess Rubin. Talking about uh, the Latin Mass, how to attend the Latin Mass, uh, questions and answers on the Latin Mass for those just uh, starting to attend because there's a lot of people that are really interested. We're going to move on to another topic. Stick around. You don't want to miss what's up next. We're going to be talking about, does God pick the Pope? Very interesting. Now. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. And we are switching gears talking about, does God pick the Pope? It's an article by Jimmy Aiken, written in 2018. And, uh, it starts off by saying when... So let, let me yeah. just, add, be, before we go through the article and talk about it, let me, the answer is this, <laughs> not necessarily. Right. Th- that's the article. Yeah. Does God pip the Pope? I'm going to answer it. Not necessarily. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Well, obviously, he he, uh, he allows whatever happens to happen, but... Yeah, you know. yeah exactly. But Permissive will. Yeah. Even when a bad one is picked. Exactly. Okay, go ahead. And there has been a lot of bad ones. So uh, yeah, when, yeah. When Pope Benedict was elected in 20, 2005, Jimmy Aiken was saying, "I was overjoyed as much as I love Pope John Paul II." Cardinal Ratzinger spoke to me in a special way, and I was thrilled when he became a pope. I was too, Jess. I, I am I, because he. I knew he. He was kind of solid in his doctrine. At, at Vatican II, he was. He was a lot more liberal, but he's come. He's gotten more conservative. Oh yeah. Over yeah. the years. Yeah. Absolutely. And he admits it too. By the way. Read several articles of him back in the seventies and eighties. He says, yeah, that he was kind of a young modernist, young progressive, and he just said that he saw the 
the the futility mm-hmm. of modernism, and he he he, re, he embraced reembraced orthodoxy. He had a he had a, a a solemn high mass that he did somewhere before he was pope. Uh, he was I think he was uh, he was working for JP two of course, but um, he he did it in some big cathedral, and I forget. But it was when I was coming up, just coming up through into the Latin mass, and I was wow, that's great to see the a cardinal doing that, you know. That won you over right there. Yeah, it did. You said, that's my man. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, he says, I was puzzled uh, when he, by the way, he, people began announcing him as God's choice and speaking as if every conclave, the Holy Spirit himself selects the Pope. So it's customary for people to speak that way in jubilation that occurs whenever a new pe- new, new people are, are elected. But uh, I know, I knew that this was the first conclave I witnessed as an adult and as a Catholic, and I hadn't experienced it firsthand so that kind of language is understandable as a way of building confidence for the new pontificate, but it's literally, but is it literally true? Does the Holy Spirit really select the best possible man for the job, or is it just a form of pious hyperbole? Jess? Common sense would suggest the latter. Yeah. So Jamie Aiken is saying, no, it's, it's pious hyperbole, and he, he explains why. The cardinals in a conclave certainly invoke the Holy Spirit and seek his guidance. But he does not override their free will. That's key right there. That sentence that Jimmy Aiken made was key. He does not override their will. Because remember, everybody, Reuben, brings their own baggage to the game, so to speak. You know, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, if you're a modernist, if you're orthodox, if you're progressive, you're liberation theology. If you're... Everybody brings their baggage to the conclave. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Aiken writes... We've had some really bad popes in the history of the church, and not just ones like Peter who made mistakes and then repented. We've had some genuinely bad actors in the papacy, for example, Benedict IX, who reigned three different times, between 1032 and 1048. So in what sense can the election of a pope be said to be God's will? Here it is. Here's the answer. Divine providence. This is the the, the most important paragraph of the article. Mm -hmm. Everything that happens in history takes place under God's providential care. By his omnipotence, God could stop any event from occurring. And so if something happens, it's because God allows it. Mm -hmm. The election of a pope, thus, can be said to be God's will in the sense that any historical event can. In this broad sense, however, the fact that something is, is God's will does not guarantee that he approves of it. Mm-hmm. It may be God's will to allow a man to commit adultery, but that doesn't mean that God approves of the adultery. Ruben? Right. So is the election of the Pope in accord with God's will only in his minimal sense, or does it involve something greater? Uh, and just, you know, I remember in uh, Dr. Taylor Marshall's book, Infiltration, he points out, pointed out that uh, defrocked Cardinal Theodore Mercaric um, was politicking for Pope Francis back in 2013, which is is against mm-hmm. you know canon canon law, and uh, yep. you, you can't do that. Uh, that's what I mean. They're they're locked in this uh, room, and they're spo- they're they're supposed to be free from outside distractions, and and you can't sit there and and hey, you got to vote for this guy, you know, <laughs> put their money on this guy. Uh, so, but the, you can't ask for divine guidance. God does not override human free will, but he does offer guidance. Jesus gave the church certain promises in this regard, stating when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, John sixteen thirteen, And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age, Matthew twenty four 
28, 20. That's very comforting. God has thus promised to give the church his guidance. He has also promised to it to individuals. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives all men generously and without reproaching and it will be given him. James 1, 5. And, um, and if an individual man asks God's guidance, he can count on it being given, just like he gave Solomon wisdom. Mm-hmm. This does not mean it will be easy to hear or understand or that the man will act on it, but it does mean that God will offer his assistance in some way. Similarly, when the College of Cardinals seeks God's guidance in a conclave, they can be confident he will give it. Indeed, given the weightiness of the decision facing the Cardinals and the implications it will have for the entire church, they can expect he will provide even greater guidance this does not guarantee that the guidance will be easy or hear or to hear or understand or that the cardinals will act on it, but it does mean that God's assistance will be provided. By presuming the discernment and good of will of the cardinals, we may presume the man they elect was chosen in accord with God's guidance, and thus that his election was God's will in a greater way than if God merely allowed it. Yeah, it's here's it's, go ahead. Yeah, here's a marriage analogy. We should be careful about assuming that there's only one correct choice for Pope, for the process of selecting a Pope is similar to the process of selecting a spouse. Pop culture sometimes promotes the idea that everyone has a soulmate, a single, best individual, that they should marry, but the reality is more complex. Each marriage prospect has different strengths and weaknesses, and depending on who you choose, your marriage will unfold in different ways. But that doesn't mean there's a single best candidate you must find. Even if there is, identifying that person with confidence cannot be humanly accomplished without accomplished given the number of factors and the number of unknowns in play. Similarly, candidates for the papacy have different strengths and weaknesses. Depending on who the candidates cardinals choose, the next papacy will unfold in different ways, but there may not be a single best choice or one that is humanly knowable. Now, after the choice is made, once the selection has been made, however, a new mode of divine play, of divine will comes into play. In the case of a marriage, once you exchange vows, it's God's will that you treat that person as your spouse. The realm of possibilities that existed before has now reduced to a single person, and that person is your divinely ordained spouse. He ordained that you be spouses in the moment the vows were exchanged, and what God has joined together, let not, let not man separate, Matthew 19, 6. It's now your job to make the marriage work, not to worry about what-ifs and might-have-beens. Similarly, when a man accepts his election as Pope, he becomes a divinely ordained Pope, and it's now everyone's job in the church to support him in the various ways that are appropriate to their station and to make the papacy work. Spouses are not perfect, and neither are popes. Good line. Mm-hmm. Just as every marriage has challenges that requires work, so does every papacy. Hear, hear. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, cardinal Ratzinger's view, um, when he was still a Cardinal Benedict XVI, acknowledged the fact that cardinals can, ele- can elect suboptimal popes. In an interview with German television back in 1997, when asked whether the Holy Spirit is responsible for the election of a pope, he said, I would not say so in the sense that the Holy Spirit picks out the pope. I would say that the Spirit does not exactly take control of the affair, but rather like a good educator, as it were, leaves as much space, much freedom, without entirely abandoning us. Thus, the Spirit's role should be understood in a much more elastic sense, not that he dictates the candidate for whom we must vote for. Probably the only assurance he offers is that the thing cannot be totally ruined. 
<laughs> he continued, there are too many contrary instances of popes of the Holy Spirit obviously would not have picked. Similarly, in his final address to the College of Cardinals, Pope Benedict stated, before I say goodbye to each one of you personally, I would like to tell you that I shall continue to be close to you with my prayers, especially in these coming days, that you may be completely docile to the action of the Holy Spirit in the election of the new Pope. May the Lord show you the one whom he wants. Benedict's prayer that they will be docile to the Holy Spirit indicates the possibility that they will not be docile. <laughs> That's a good line. In other words, that they, that they will not listen to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. In other words, listen to the Holy Spirit, but it's possible, it's possible that some of you will not listen, okay. even some of you at the conclave. Mm-hmm. Implications for the future. Nobody knows when the next conclave will be, but we can draw several implications from all this. First, we can be confident from the fact that the cardinals seek God's guidance, that he will give it to them. As he has promised. Again, that's if they seek his guidance. Second, even if they make a suboptimal choice, we can be confident that God will ultimately bring out good, bring good out of it. For in everything God works for good with those who love in Romans 8.28. Third, we need to pray. We need to pray now that the cardinals will be chosen. And when they meet in conclave, we need to pray that they will earnestly seek and heed God's guidance. Here's one thing I just want to remind Catholics. When you pray for the Pope, which you, which you should do every day after you pray a rosary, um, you get a, a partial indulgence. So if that's not motivation to pray for the Pope every day, if you, you, know, you have say, no, I can't pray for the Pope now. Yeah, yeah, you could. You get a partial indulgence if you pray for the Pope after the rosary. And by the way, uh, if, if you meet all the qualifications for a plenary indulgence, you get a plenary indulgence. That's right, Justin. I, I, I make sure that when I pray for the Pope's intentions, I pray for his good intentions, you know? Yeah, people, yeah, a lot of people modify that, you know. I'll hear people say, and I pray for the traditional intentions of the Pope. Yeah. I pray for the good intentions of the Pope. I pray for the converge, the continued conversion of the Pope. So, you a lot of Catholics right now, you know, at least they're praying for him, even though they, you know, they kind of modify the prayer at the end, but... The, the important thing is to pray for him because, once again, it's a good thing to do, yeah. to pray for the vicar of Christ. And, the sec- and, and again, you get a partial indulgence for praying for the Pope. That's not a bad, uh, it's not, that's not a bad uh, carrot yeah. from heaven. If you've never read this, uh, you might want to look it up. It's, it's kind of it's interesting. Um, it's the Siri thesis. It's a conspiracy theory, but uh, still, Cardinal Giuseppe Siri, the Archbishop of Genoa, was elected Pope in 1958. In a papal conclave, he took the name Pope Gregory XII, that his election was suppressed. The smoke, the white smoke went up, in fact. And then they said, oh, no, uh, it's, it's too much to get into right now in this. We don't have any more time, but look it up. Next time. Yeah, you should you should look it up. It's, it's, it's very interesting. The Freemasons, the agents of Soviet Union, uh, mm. kind of put some pressure. So, anyway, we'll talk to you about it some other time. You've been listening to Jesus 911. Stay tuned for Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Mishuda. For listening, if you like what you hear, share it, tell your friends about it, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. Keep the faith. Amen.